0: Before we look at the passage, let's look at this. Consider uh, the setting uh, that we're going to be looking at. Jewish officials did their best at what those persons who support politicians do spin doctoring. You know, spin doctoring is not new, by the way. That's not new. It's been around for ages. These guys were doing it, and the Jewish leaders were doing their best at spin doctoring their effort to control the shape a message about the empty tomb. They were coming up with all kinds of stories as to why the tomb was empty, other than the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. But they couldn't control, they had no control over the resurrected Jesus. Over a 40 day period, Jesus appeared numerous times to various individuals and groups. Presumably, to encourage them and teach them those things they had not been able to learn before the crucifixion. Now Jesus had done a lot in trying to teach and prepare his disciples before the crucifixion. But there are some things that they still didn't get. They still missed it. They still get, didn't get everything that he wanted to teach. And so he's using these 40 days... After the resurrection, uh, to sort of cement in their minds some of the things that he had been trying to teach them. And we know the power of repetition. And so that's what Jesus was doing in these 40 days. He's basically saying some of the same things he said before. At the end of the 40 days, Jesus had one final appearance and one word of instruction before returning to the Father in heaven. Okay, here's the first question you have then on page 67 of your guide. Whose words always catch your attention? Whose words always catch your attention? Let's not all go at once. (laughs) People who talk in sense, okay. You're right. Uh, People who who make a lot of sense in what they say. They would get your attention more uh, than people who don't make any kind of sense. Okay, look at the point at the top of page 68. What does it say? Is that an assurance for you? Jesus ascended to heaven. He's gone. He's no longer present visibly. But are we alone? No, we'll never be alone. Uh, In fact, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, let's look at the Bible meets life section on page 68. Could we have someone read that please? Want to know
1: what's important to people? Find out what's on their mind when they come to the end of their life. Look at these famous last words, for example. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Leonardo da Vinci. I have tried so hard to do the right. Grove of Cleveland. I believe that a life lived for music is an existence spent wonderfully, and this is what I have dedicated my life to. Luciano Pavarotti. After his resurrection and just before his ascension, Jesus told his disciples and us what mattered to him. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses, Acts 1.8. Jesus returned to heaven, but he knew we could not accomplish his mission on our own. We would need the presence and the power of his spirit to carry out that great work.
0: Okay. Let's look at the first passage then, if we can have someone to read verse, just verse three on page sixty-nine. Just verse three. After
1: supper, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing truths. a a to them during forty days,
2: and speaking about the kingdom
0: of God. Okay. Acts chapter 1 and Luke chapter 24 cover much of the same material, uh, almost identically. Although Acts 1 summarizes what Luke 24 addresses in much greater detail after uh, Jesus' resurrection. Uh, And so he appeared to his disciples, showing them to be, showing himself to be risen bodily. Remember, a lot of people are saying was a spirit. And so he came before them, he showed them that he had risen bodily. And notice the verse has an interesting uh, description there. With many convincing proofs. You see that? Convincing proofs. The term convincing proofs has a sense of irrefutable evidence. In other words, evidence that there's no way of getting around or getting away from. And that's why the it is coined that way, convincing proof. When you try to convince somebody of something, what are you trying to do? Persuade Persuade them. them You're trying to get them to think along the terms that you're thinking. And so the term convincing proofs shows that there's no way of getting around it. Even though the spin doctors were working hard. They were working hard. He appeared to many he appeared to them many times over a period of 40 days not just once but over that 40day period he appeared to them many many times and uh, most likely his appearances were intended uh, to strengthen their faith for the task of being his witnesses and also to help them to deal with with the lingering doubts that they had in them. even though they had seen Jesus visibly, bodily, after the resurrection, many of them still had some lingering doubts in their minds. They were still doubtful. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 17. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some of them doubted. See that? They were excited, they were worshipping Him when they saw Him, but some of them doubted. And then in Luke chapter 24, we see the same thing. Luke chapter 24 verse 38, they were frightened, or rather Jesus says, why are you frightened? He asked, why are your hearts filled with doubt? And so we have two passages here that shows that even though they had seen Jesus visibly, bodily after the resurrection, they still had some doubts in their minds. Jesus took steps to demonstrate to His disciples that He had in fact been bodily resurrected. He invited them to do a couple of things, three things in particular. To physically touch Him, okay, touch me, I'm not a spirit. If you put your hands to touch me, your hands are not going to go through as if I'm a ghost. You're going to feel me. You're going to be able to feel flesh and blood. So the first thing he told them to do is physically touch him. And then the second thing is, he showed them his hands and feet. He showed them the marks and the scars and the wounds that he bore. And then the third thing he did was, uh, he ate with them. Now a spirit doesn't eat, right? So again, another proof. And so Luke records only three of Jesus' many appearances to his disciples. The first one he appears to Cleopas and another disciple on the road to Damascus. Remember that passage? Verse 13 to 33. And then his appearance to Simon. Verse 34. And then his appearance to the eleven. And those who were gathered together in verses 33. And also verses 36. All the way through verse 49. But then the Apostle Paul gives us a passage where he explains a number of the appearances of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Notice what it says, verse 15, verses 3 to 8. This is one of those passages that we read a lot, and uh, that we hear read a lot. I pass on to you what was most important, and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, and He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Verse 5, he is seen by Peter. And then by the twelve, after that he was seen by more than five hundred of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Verse seven, then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born out of a, at the wrong time, I also saw him. And so in addition to, to Jesus appearing to Peter and the other disciples multiple times, Paul relates that Jesus appeared to five hundred of his followers at one time and also to his brother James. And so Jesus was, was, was instructing them during his, his post-resurrection experience, he was instructing his disciples for those 40 days concerning the kingdom of God, which was basically the central theme of his earthly ministry. Throughout his earthly ministry, he talked about the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 1. Later on, after John was arrested, that's verse 14, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached the good news. Verse 15 says, The time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe in the good news. And so the kingdom of God is the is the exercise of God's sovereign rule. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. The exercise of God's sovereign rule. Now we know that God is sovereign. The promise of the kingdom that God would become a reality in the presence of on ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and so the gospel was preached prophecies were fulfilled and demons were cast out of people during that time that Jesus was preaching the kingdom wherever Jesus ministered the kingdom of God was manifested and so Jesus' crucifixion, death and resurrection furthered the coming of the kingdom as Satan, sin and death were all defeated by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now God's kingdom would be spread Through the coming of the Holy Spirit and the witness of the disciples To what they had seen and experienced In their time with the Lord Jesus Christ Okay, uh, notice the passage uh, on page 17 The study guide We can have someone read that please 70 I've uh, spent more than 12 years. Could we have someone read that? Mm-hmm. Hmm? I've
2: spent more than 12 years since Good. in medical education. Good. I chose that path because I had a passion for industry and God's work. Despite the depth of my passion, though an interesting thing happened over time. God's word more and more, it seemed that my number of word diminished. Reading and studying, God's word became information rather than elimination. That all changed when I left the classroom and started using the Bible in ministry. God's word comes alive as we minister. sitting face to face with person after person, counseling each one through difficult situations, for just me to know that the Lord taught what the Lord taught about those circumstances. In front of thousands of people several times a week, many of whom live and in trying circumstances, motivates me to dig deep into the scripture and discover all I can to help. My focus has moved from verbs and tenses to meaning and application. As we look at Acts 1, remember that the disciples had been with Jesus for three years of solemn training. They saw him. If you look at the disciples' words and actions during Jesus' trial, it would appear they never heard or saw much that made a difference to them. They doubted, wandered, feared, and ran. Thankfully, everything changed after their friend and Savior rose from the dead. For 40 days, Jesus spoke to them and gave them a crash course in the kingdom of God. I suspect the disciples absorbed more in those 40 days than in their previous three years of Jesus their undivided attention. I know the disciples listen closely now. Jesus' words at this point became very dear to them. When Jesus taught
0: his disciples before his ascension mattered to them, the life and words of Jesus have become the passion of their lives. The same should be true of us. Well. Okay. Uh now notice uh the last part of it, the last paragraph, notice it says. As I look at Acts one, I remember that the disciples had been with Jesus for three years of solid training. Three, think of that—three solid years of training. You know, when I when, when you read this, I, I thought about an experience I had in high school. Uh, when I was in high school, we had uh, just finished the eleventh grade, and we're we'll going into twelfth grade, and uh, and then there would be graduation. Well, um, something interesting happened. They decided that if your grades wasn't up, you weren't going to make it to 12th grade. And so they were gonna, they had a the whole general assembly, and they were gonna call the names of those persons who were gonna make it to go into 12th grade. And I imagine uh, where I was, because all during that time, I thought about, uh, what it says here, uh, three years of solid training. For me, there was solid teaching, doing that, but I wasn't paying attention. I hung out with a bad group of kids, wrong company, and now this thing set up caught me blindsided. I didn't know they were going to do that. Okay? And so instead of sitting on the bleachers, I sat under the bleachers. Because I, 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 I firmly believed that my name wasn't going to be called. Okay? And I, I think about it when I read what it says here about these disciples. Three years of solid training. My name was called, by the way. <laughs> I did graduate. They saw him perform many miracles and heard him teach. Yet... When we look at the disciples' words and actions during Jesus' trial, it would appear that they had never saw or heard much. What they saw or heard made much of a difference. Do we feel that way sometimes? You know, Jesus is teaching, He's teaching, He's teaching. We're not paying attention. And then something drastic happens and it catches our attention. And this is where we are with these disciples. Instead of uh, believing what Jesus saw, what the last part says? They doubted, they wondered, they feared, and they ran. Because they wasn't paying attention During those three years of solid teaching Thankfully everything changed After their friend and savior rose from the dead For 40 days Jesus spoke to them And gave them a crash course That's a crash course of the three solid years of training That he would given them before This is after the resurrection Because Jesus knew that they weren't paying attention He knew And so he had to give them now a crash course uh, scale down Three years of study Into 40 days That's what he had to do Because they weren't paying attention during the three years They failed the course They would not have graduated Okay and so these 40 years I suspect the disciples Absorbed more in those 40 days Than in their previous three years With Jesus Suddenly Jesus had their undivided Attention and you know sometimes God has to do some things in our lives to get Our undivided attention When Bad things happen Unforeseen circumstances happen Sometimes is God trying to get our attention Because we were not paying attention In the first place Okay look at the question on page 70 If you had a limited time with Jesus What would you most want to learn? Now you hear a lot of people talking about If I were with Jesus I would ask him this Or I would ask that If I was with Paul I would ask him this Or if I was with James I would ask him this If you had a limited time with Jesus What would you ask him? What is most perplexed you during in your Christian experience That you would want to ask Jesus a particular question Anybody? What
1: is really
0: hindering you? What is really hindering you? What is really hindering you? Okay, good question
1: You know, I would like to know it I And then give you the grace to remove it
0: Another way of putting that question is If you could have Jesus teach you one thing What would it be? For the disciples, remember their experience was prayer. And remember when they said, Lord, teach us to pray? That was their experience. If they were at one moment with Jesus to ask them, What would we teach? That was their experience. What would you ask Jesus to teach you? Faith. 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 Okay. Uh, why? Sometimes our faith needs strengthening. A lot of times we speak the words. We know the lingo. But a lot of us really don't believe what we say we believe. Exactly. Yeah. That's the best way I can put it. Yeah, yeah, and we think about uh, the experience that Jesus had uh, in the study we did recently with the disciples on the boat. Uh, uh, When the storm came up, even though they were seasoned fishermen, they didn't have any faith to believe that even though Jesus was on board, they would be okay. I think faith is a big one for a lot of us. Uh, I know uh, it has been for me uh, over the years uh, in serving the Lord. Okay, as we transitioned... uh, as we continue, let's look at verse forty-four through 8. Uh, 4 through 8 of the passage. If we can have someone read, that's page 69 again. Oh. If we have someone read from verses uh, 4 through 8.
2: While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the
0: earth." Okay. Thank you. Uh, notice, while Jesus was, was with His disciples, He commanded them... Not, now, this was not a suggestion. He commanded them not to leave. Because they were at a point where they were kind of discouraged, discouraged. They were about, man, you know, Jesus is gone. He told us he's going to do this. You know, ain't nothing happening. It's not going to happen the way we... Let's go do our thing. Let's go back to what we used to do. Okay? But he commanded them uh, to to remain in Jerusalem because he made them uh, a promise that the Father would provide. Now, this reference to the Holy Spirit is used here. In the upper room on that night of his arrest... And betrayal, Jesus had told His disciples that the Spirit would be coming to be with them forever when He left them to return to the Father. That's a promise that He made to them. Okay, now of course, all the stuff that went on during the time of His death and His resurrection, they would have forgotten all of that. Because remember now, three years of solid training, they forgot most of that stuff. Okay, they didn't remember any of it. And so He reminds them again that the promise that the Father made will be fulfilled. And Jesus' reference to John Baptizing with water recalls John's baptism, John the Baptist's declaration, when John says, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is more powerful than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so the word translated baptized basically means immersed. It means uh, to submerge. And used in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, the term uh, refers to God pouring out the Spirit on the disciples on the day of Pentecost, as we have it recorded in the book of Acts. Isaiah chapter 49, in in verses 7 and 8 of a passage that we just read, Jesus shifted his focus. They were not to be concerned with knowing the specific times or period that God had set for the establishing the kingdom and the critical events involved in His coming. Remember, that's one of the things that, Lord, you know, we, we were waiting for You to come and set up the kingdom and overthrow the Romans and so that we can reign and we can be in charge. Well, Jesus said, no, that, that's not something you'd be concerned about. Don't don't, don't worry about that. And uh, He wants them to get their focus off of that. Jesus did not deny the restoration of Israel. He didn't deny it. He says, That's not n- 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 none of your business. Put another way. Instead, he gave the disciples a new perspective. Their concern was no longer to be nationalistic, but rather it would now focus on a mission that would encompass the entire world. And what was that mission? They were to bring the light of salvation to both the Jews of Israel and the Gentiles, the entire world. Notice what Isaiah 49, 6. We have turned to the past Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, verse 6. What does it say? Just to,
1: just to be better, you do more than restore the people of Israel to you. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and
0: you will bring my soul to the ends of the earth. Okay, now that's Isaiah prophesying. What Jesus is alluding to in this passage. When they said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel again? Jesus, no, 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 that's no concern of yours. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is declaring to them this very same prophecy that Isaiah made. Isaiah says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. And you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. See, they're only concerned nationalistically. Jesus says, no, it's, 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 going, it's going to go beyond that. And so Jesus commanded his disciples, revealed three things they were to do. Three things, what they were to do, how they were to accomplish their mission, and where they were to go. As they waited in Jerusalem, they would receive the power to be Jesus' witnesses, to continue the work that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself started. And by the way, beloved, that's our work. That's what we are called to do, to continue the mission that Jesus started. And the question is, are we doing it? God the Holy Spirit would simply, would supply the necessary power to accomplish the task. You know, some folks will be like, you know, I've never done that before, I don't think I could do that. You know, well, God has given us the power by the Holy Spirit to do it. And along with the Holy Spirit's power comes the courage to do it. I remember going on a mission trip one time and, and where was it? Where was it? Oh Cat Island. Cat Island, we were we were going uh, we were going house to house to house in Cat Island and you think, you know, you, you, we are accustomed to thinking that everybody's heard the gospel. Everybody's heard the plan of salvation, right? We think that, don't we? Mm-hmm. You know, because that's the kind of environment that we come up in. Well, we had a map. And uh, we would meet at the mission house and we would go over the map and it says, okay, we had a group of 20 people. Uh, this group was going to go in that settlement. That group was going to go in that settlement. next group was going to go in settlement. And uh, we went, our group went to the settlement. when we got to our settlement, we realized that We had come to a point that wasn't on the map. I said, well, what do we do now? Uh, We've gone to to the settlement that the map says we are supposed to go to. But when we get to that settlement, we realize that it's not sea there. There's more land. There's another road that continues on. But it was not on the map. What do we do? Let's go on. And so we went into the settlement and we got there and we saw two little boys on the dock fishing, you know, and uh, so we stopped and we shared the gospel with them, those two boys gave their hearts to the Lord, praise the Lord, okay, that wasn't on the map, now some of them say, well you know, uh, we're supposed to go in that settlement, we've done our duty, let's go back, okay, we didn't, we saw that there was more road to cover, so we continued on, we went further on into the settlement, saw a man sitting on his porch in his little rocking chair, uh, got in a conversation with him talking leaves about 94 years old Okay, and we shared the gospel with him. You know what he said I have never heard the gospel shared like that before He had never heard the gospel like that before He gave his heart to the Lord at 94 years of age The point is we are supposed to be carrying on the ministry that Jesus started And that's what Jesus is trying to get his disciples uh, to do here The mission would expand to the province of Judea. Well, first of all in Jerusalem, the disciples were to begin witnessing in Jerusalem among their own people, okay, right where we are, our own neighborhoods, move out from there. The mission would expand to the province of Judea, that could be probably some of the islands. And then into the non-Jewish territory of Samaria and finally to the ends of the earth Jesus' words in verse 8 gave an outline of Christianity's geographic expansion As the Spirit empowered Jesus' followers in the book of Acts And although the Acts contains much more than just the account of where the gospel is to be spread It includes a whole lot more than that Look at the question on page 72 In your own words how would you describe the presence and work of the Holy Spirit? In your own words, one sentence. How would you describe the presence or, and work of the Holy Spirit? Anybody? Indwelling. Huh? Indwelling. Indwelling, okay. Definitely. Hmm? You want one word, right? Yeah, and, yeah that, that's one word is good, indwelling. Could we do it in a sentence? A brief sentence. Huh?
2: Good.
1: Good. Instructions,
0: and Instructions and directions where to go. Instructions and directions where to go. Okay. Uh, yeah, we take that one. <laughs> Refilling. Refilling. Okay. Okay. Empowering people, Empowering people to, witness. to witness. Okay. That's a good one. Empowering people to witness. And that's, uh, that's what we have to go on. Uh, when we uh, try to come up with excuses as to why we shouldn't go. And, uh, and of course, there are some things that will discourage us, you know, uh, uh, along the way. And that is to be expected. I remember standing on a street corner in Atlanta, Georgia, distributing tracts on one of our mission trips. And this guy uh, took the truck and said, I'll tell you what I think about you and your Jesus. He took the truck and he tore it up in the piece <laughs> Now that was supposed to discourage us and be like, "Oh boy, you know, he didn't read it." You know, but there'll be a lot of things that will discourage you. You know, uh, the little old lady on a bed one time. I think she was probably about almost a hundred, and uh, went into a room. They allowed us to come into her room, and uh, we talked to her and we asked her the question, "Do you, do you remember the time when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior?" Boy, oh, and she got offended. Mm-hmm. You know, she got offended. She said, you have being disrespectful. You know, I'm older than you. You should know better than asking me something like that. And, you know, she, you know, and get out of my house. <laughs> she chases out of my house. You know, of course, that is intended to discourage you. But, you know, you can't be discouraged. You go on because the Holy Spirit is there to empower us to keep us going. Okay, uh, as we kind of wrap up here, um, Look at the final two paragraphs on page 72 of your study guide. Just the last two passages. Uh, Thankfully, you don't have time to read all of it, but thankfully, look at the passages. Thankfully, everything changed after their friend and savior rose from the dead. Remember we read that before? Okay, the same is true. Bottom line, the same is true for us. Disciples, listen closely to what Jesus' words at this point, very dear to them, but the same should be true of us. Okay, look at Plugged In, page okay, 71. See Plugged In? Yeah. See those three pictures? Yeah. The Holy Spirit is the main source of power for the Christian life. As Brother David said just now, Empowered, the main source. That means, you know what that I mean? It means that we don't have an excuse. Because if we are saved, we've got the power of the Holy Spirit. When we do not respond to His power, what do we do to the Spirit? We but grieve Him. We Don't grieve it. Him. We, we ignore Him. It means that we grieve Him. And so the Holy Spirit is the main source of power for the Christian life. What helps you plug into that power source in the following areas of your life? See that? At work, at home, at work, at play. What helps you plug into that power source in your life at work? What helps you plug into that power source At home, what else you plug into that power source at work? Okay, last passage, uh, verses 9 to 11. And I'll read. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching. And a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said men of Galilee why do you stand looking up into heaven this Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him go in going into heaven See that the term cloud is used of normal everyday weather related phenomena in the new testament clouds are usually associated with the power and presence of god or and or uh, eschatological events, as we see them recorded in Scripture. Clouds are associated with the presence and power of God in the New Testament as well. Anytime we see clouds, we think we have an experience with, with God revealing Himself in, 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 in a certain way. A few examples incu- include, God led the Israelites out of Egypt, going before them in a pillar of cloud. Clouds. By day and a pillar of fire by night. Remember that in Exodus 13? God also appeared to Moses, Aaron, and the Israelites in a what? A cloud, right? That displayed his glory to them. When the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle tent of meeting, what do we see? A cloud covered the tent. Again in Exodus and also in Numbers nine. Finally, God's presence appeared above the mercy seat of the ark of the covenant in a cloud. cloud. So we see the significance of the cloud here. Okay, last question then on page seventy-three. Why is it important that Jesus' disciples witness his ascension?
2: Hmm? I think the red.
0: Well, oh, it's just my grief.
2: I think the resurrection and the ascension cemented in the disciples' minds and hearts the fact that this was truly the Messiah. Because if they, if they hadn't witnessed that, they'd been doubters. Mm-hmm. But in, in history tells us that 11 of them Later, suffered martyrs. That's right. Uh, death, uh, and uh, so I think that was why
0: it was important. Exactly, and that's a good point because if they if they had not witnessed his visible bodily resurrection and see him go up into heaven, do you think those eleven would have would have died as martyrs? No, no, they would have run off whenever they were confronted with persecution. Is it man? That's it for me. I'm out of here. Yeah. But David, i was basically going to say something similar to her. Jesus appeared to many. Because if you wanted to validify a fact, you would appear to people that disbelieve. So that's why you appeared plenty. David Jeremiah made, it, made that point this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he appeared as many as possible, so there would be no doubts no whatsoever. That's right. No. That they witnessed his the resurrection, therefore they could tell about it. Exactly. I mean, it's ascension. Irrefutable evidence, as we saw. Okay, let's just, let's just wrap it up. Our time is gone here. Um, Let's see, the last page, live it out, page 74, consider the following responses to the truth of Jesus' ascension and his eventual return. Plug in, see that? Begin each day by asking the Holy Spirit to make himself known in your life. Pray that He will offer clear directions as you weigh options and make decisions. Make that a daily occurrence in your life. And then secondly, research. Look through articles, sermons, podcasts, or books in order to broaden your understanding of the Holy Spirit and His role in your life. In other words, study. That involves study, research. And then let go. Our future is in heaven with Jesus. Therefore, choose to let go of something. Possession, a grudge, a way of life that keeps you tethered to this world. Remember what the Bible says about us in this world?
2: Love not the world,
0: Love not the world or the things of the world. And that's interesting because tethered means what? Tied to. Tied to something, right? So get loose. Don't be tethered to this world in any way. Okay. I wrap it up. Uh, you don't know what your last words in this life will be. Does anybody know that? Okay, no one does. However, you can know here and now that you're never alone. God Himself, His Holy Spirit, lives in you. You are the residence of the Holy Spirit. And we need to remember that wherever you go, you take the Holy Spirit with you.
2: Yes.
0: Okay, so we need to be cautious that those environments that we go to, or into do not grieve Him.